And so I went to the internet. searching for the bio for your district superintendent. And I learned what they always told me, do not believe everything that the internet says. <laughs> because as I was getting ready to introduce to you the district superintendent, I was going to introduce Ian Fitzpatrick, born in September of 1980, who is a retired English football player from Manchester United. <laughs> but I got that wrong. The best way to introduce a person is not by what others say of that person. The best way to introduce a person is by experiencing that person. We say that about Christ. We could talk about Jesus, but the best way to introduce Jesus to people is by having a personal encounter with him. Then it becomes real. For me, it has been special to know your district superintendent. We have journeyed together. We have worked together in a global mission. We have many, many common interests. We have a special, particular love for the people in the Middle East. When he and his wife, Pat, served as young, recently married couple in Lebanon, they served, and from that place, they got a call for ministry. That call of ministry took him to Colorado Springs, where he graduated from Nazarene Bible College. That passion brought him to ministry and, and brought this, uh, this Irish rock star <laughs> to Canada. We're only leaders with a global perspective could lead a district as diverse, as global, and as reflecting of God's kingdom as this district is. In 2004, the Canada Central District was blessed with the election of Ian Fitzpatrick as your district superintendent. He is a churchman. He's a member of the executive committee of the general board of the Church of the Nazarene. He's a member of the global mission committee of the general board. He's a member of the U.S.-Canada district superintendent advisory committee. But uh, that is just resume. I've known him to be a husband and a father a grandfather, a disciple of Christ, the real deal. So to bring his, his report, Ian Fitzpatrick, an active servant of God. Thank you. Thanks, Father. So nice words. Thank you. Thank you so much for your kindness, your kind words. The formal report is in your book. I am not going to read that. You will be able to, uh, to do that uh, later and in the days and weeks to come. I'm sure it'll be uh, top of your reading list. But I just want to say that God is good all the time. And this year in our district, he has blessed us richly. The numbers, this is the... Uh, the, the, the supplementary report to the Pentateuchal numbers, we have them. We've seen increases in every area, in our attendance, in our membership. Our giving is the only area where it's down slightly from last year, but our giving for tithes and offerings this year were 300,000 more than last year. 
Our WEF budget was paid at 5.52 or 5.53%. I congratulate you on that. That is full payment. Please show yourselves how much you appreciate that. I am so blessed to have a wonderful district advisory board, wonderful auxiliary committees that I work with, and a wonderful assistant district superintendent, Reverend Steve Otley. We are brothers from different mothers. Now, I submitted a picture that I would like to be shown if you have that. Back there, Pastor Lisa. Uh, yeah, this is a picture of Steve in the dark. Uh, we, you, 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 he's coming through, but but it, is it? Well, once you, yeah, here we. It, it's there. All right. Now, do you remember? Uh, this is Canada Central's answer to Miami Vice. <laughs> this, this is Crockett and is it Tubbs? That's right. Guess which one's Tubbs? <laughs> And this was taken in uh, this was taken in Veradero Beach actually a few years ago when we were there on a missions trip and it was a wonderful time and we didn't know back then that God would bring us together for service and so there is your team right there you can take that down now Pastor Lisa but so grateful our. Uh, organized churches, these three that you saw, two tonight and one a little earlier in the year, now make our organized churches 52 in number, I believe that is, and 61 congregations altogether, and we'll be moving those other nine towards official organization. Tomorrow you'll hear from Pastor Steve some of our exciting plans for the next 10 years as God would lead us on. So I am now going to dispense with this report, apart from a word of congratulations to people who have furthered their educational uh, pursuits this year. Uh, Dr. Lisa Autar just received her Doctor of Ministry most recently. Your father's very proud of you down here. Dr. Tina Patamber received a Doctor of Ministry also. <laughs> Dr. Hector DelVal, he received his doctorate. I believe he is here. Okay, Pat, take his name. Uh, he's not here. All right. Uh, um, and Elaine Bubstead, she received her master's degree just most recently. Uh, Elaine, we congratulate you. And uh, Donna Wilson just received her master's degree a few weeks ago. We congratulate you, Donna. Please stand. Forgive me if I have missed anyone. I, uh, I will I'll mention you tomorrow. God bless you. I want you to turn tonight. I, I really have a passion on my heart uh, to preach this message. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to begin to read at verse 14. Before we do, let me just thank my wonderful family. Pat, you deserve a Distinguished Service Award. Amen. You really do. I'm sorry. We joke, we banter, but you really deserve that, and I thank you. Thank you, girls, Ashley and Stephanie and Lindsay, Frankie and James. Thank you all. You are my treasure. Just behind Jesus. <laughs> Let's stand together. Hear the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The message is clear tonight. So if between now and the benediction, you doze over, hear what I'm about to say now. Don't lose your first love, but if you do, or if you have, get back to it. Don't lose your first love, but if you do, or if you have, get back to it. What a city. What a place. Look at those fields. They're white on the harvest. Look at those streets. They are full of people who need Jesus. Look at the ministries that we could have. Are these not the words of a new church planter? Are these not the words of a missionary? Are these not the words of a rejuvenated congregation who with fresh eyes begins to see that the mission field is right on our doorstep? Are these not the excitement uh, generated? Is this not the excitement that is generated by hearts that desire to reach people with the gospel message of Jesus? I think that while they may be the words and it may be the excitement of new churches in the context of the USA-Canada region, it certainly was the sentiment of the people of Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus. And he went there and he spent two years. He looked after the church. He took care of the flock. But he also pioneered the areas around the city of Ephesus. There were work and witness trips. There were things to do. There were new ministries to start. And he did it. If you look at Acts chapter 19, you'll begin to see that all of this came about through the providence of God as he called Paul the apostle, and he then called 12 men who were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They had already received the baptism of John, but now they were infused with the Holy Ghost. Now God really took hold of their lives, and they became the people who could see the ministry that was all around them. But the Apostle Paul had a great concern for this church. Not only does Paul commend them as being saints and being faithful, but if you go to the second chapter of Revelation, you would also see that Jesus does exactly the same thing. He begins to talk. He begins to celebrate who they are and what they've done. But you know that by the tone of the writing or by the tone of the voice that the shoe was about to drop, that there was something else coming. And what was coming for Paul in his message to the Ephesians really started back in the second chapter where he reminds them where they have come from. Don't lose sight of the fact that you were in the world. Don't lose sight of the fact that there but for the grace of God go all of us. And I say to you as a church, wherever you are and whatever you're doing on this district, don't lose contact with the world that we are called to reach. Have friends who don't go to church. Build bridges of relationship not so that one day you can pop the question, that you're priming the pump for some kind of massive evangelistic effort, but that you are building bridges of friendship because the person that you are seeking to gain a friendship with is in danger of going to hell. They're, they're in danger of going 
to a lost eternity. And so in a world where there was great confusion over who were the people of God, Paul enlightens the Ephesians by reminding them that the household of faith in chapter 2 is now you as well as the Jew. We were reminded of that by Dr. Crocker a little bit earlier on today, that we are now part of this great kingdom of God. We have this wonderful privilege. And so the apostle Paul knows that his time with them is coming to an end. He knows that the writing is on the wall. He has a great concern for this Ephesians church because, well, for two reasons. One is, he's on a missionary tour and he wants to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. So he calls for the elders of the church who are in Ephesus. He said, look, I, there's no way that I can get up to Ephesus. I'm in Macedonia right now, and, but if you can meet me, in Miletus, we'll have a farewell time together. A few things that I want to say to you for the last time. Paul knew what was coming in Jerusalem. He knew what was coming beyond Jerusalem, and that would be Rome. And so he meets the Ephesian elders, and there's a weeping session. It, he, he says to them, you're, you're, you're going to see my face no more. This, this is it. It's been good while it lasted, but but this is it. And then when we get to this passage in chapter 3, we discover a second reason why he has great concern for the Ephesian church. One is his own loss, that he'll not be with them anymore. But the second and perhaps more pervasive concern that he has is this. There will be people after I go who will come in from outside and they will seek to destroy you. And not only that, there will be people from within your group who will rise up and seek to destroy you. Those reasons kept Paul awake at night, I believe. Those reasons were overriding all of the great compliments that he might ever give to the Ephesian church. Oh, you're saints. I, I thank God every time I think of you, etc., etc., etc. But I have a great concern for you. And as a district superintendent, I, I can call you saints, and I can call you wonderful and glorious, marvelous people, but at the same time, I have a great concern for you that as good as this year has been and as good as the trajectory of our, of our goals and of our plans is and has been and will be, the overriding concern is that there will be people who will come in amongst you, amongst your congregations, and they will come in like knights in shining armor, and they will look like the answer to all of your problems, and they will divide you. And even from within your own groups, they will rise up and they will destroy what God is doing. Pay close attention to that as a church. Pay close attention to that as we move in the direction of God's wonderful blessing. So for this reason, says Paul, you are now a household of faith. You now need to experience the abundance of the infilling, the complete filling of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. John Wesley interprets the fullness that Paul is talking about to the Ephesians this way. He said to be filled with the fullness of Jesus is to be filled with all of his light, is to be filled with all of his love, is to be filled with all of his wisdom, is to be filled with all of his holiness, is to be filled with all of his power and all of his glory. Are we living in the fullness of the provision of God? That's a rhetorical question. 
but it's a searing one. It's an important one. It is, it is one that we all need to answer. Are we living in the fullness of God's provision? You know, my messages don't come without a joke here and there. Thank you, Christine. <laughs> but Murphy and Flanagan decided they would open up a low-cost, a budget airline. And so they did. And they, they were the people who made the bookings. They were the flight attendants. And they were the pilot and co-pilot. They did everything. They fueled up the old rickety plane, and they filled that thing up with low-cost travel, and they flew to southern Spain to a remote airstrip, but they got people there, and from there, they went to their all-inclusive holiday resort. Murphy and Flanagan didn't have a lot of experience. They, they didn't know how to fly a plane, but, but they took a crash course, and so... <laughs> And so they got into the plane, they revved up, they, they, they reached that optimum speed, and, and they rotated and took off. Beautiful flight. Things were going well. They got to southern Spain, and they, they realized they were pretty high, and they saw the runway. And, and so Murphy says to Flanagan, oh, you better hit those flaps. Hit those flaps, 30-degree flaps, Murphy, 30-degree flaps. So Murphy hits them, and then we need 45-degree we need flaps, Murphy, 45-degree flaps, and Murphy hits them. 90-degree flaps, Murphy, let's get this thing done. And so they did. They, they made a steep descent and hit the runway and hit the brakes, reverse thrusters, and they just screeched to a halt inches from the edge of the runway. Murphy turned to Flanagan and said, oh, he said, that was a short runway, wasn't it, Flanagan? Flanagan said, yes, but look at the width of it. <laughs> In the church, we're just the same. Sometimes we operate across the runway instead of up and down it. Sometimes we confine ourselves to short spaces and small areas. Sometimes we are the ones who actually limit God because he's saying to us, look, Murphy, look, Flanagan, we've got lots of room for you to land this plane. And in this world, we have still got lots of room for God to work in our lives. There's still lots of room. It doesn't matter what governments say. It doesn't matter what legislation is passed. It doesn't matter what city councils suggest. We've still got lots of room because the Holy Spirit of God has created a fullness in which we can operate freely. And so let's do that. Let's operate completely in the light of God. There's an awful lot to be said about God's light and when God's light, it's, it's a metaphor. Light is a, a metaphor for what happens to us growing up in Northern Ireland. You know, the, the question that a, a piercing evangelist, and everybody in Northern Ireland is an evangelist, but they would say, have you seen the light? Have you seen the light? You probably know that as well. Have you seen the light? Well, what that means is, has, has God spoken to your heart? Have you given your life to Jesus? Well, not only are we to see the light, but we are to be conductors of the light. Amen. Sometimes there's a problem with light. And we know that light and darkness cannot cohabit the same space. You light a match in a dark room, the dark has to go. It, it cannot physically remain, scientifically cannot remain once the light pierces the darkness. And when God shines his light upon a Christian, well, when he shines his light upon a non-Christian to become a Christian, he then shines his light upon us to be a conduit of it. There is a problem. If the light of God hits a solid object, it creates a shadow on the other side of the object. So if our hearts are like stone, if our hearts are not pliable, if our hearts have become hardened and we've got used to the regimen of the church and the ritual of the church, when God's light hits one side of us, all that does is create a shadow on the other side. And how many people have we talked to who have seen nothing but a shadow being cast on the other side of a Christian? 
a shadow being cast on the other side of a church, a shadow being cast on the other side of a word from the Lord. Listen, we are called not only to uphold truth. You can uphold truth and become a bigot. But we are called to employ the truth of God's light that does not create a shadow, but rather brightens every space around us with the Shekinah glory of Amen. the Lord. Amen. Don't let a shadow be created even if it's God's light hitting your life, because when that happens, it's contradictory to the message. And that's what was happening in the Ephesian church. Somehow the fullness that was predicted for them as saints and faithful, I, I know your works, I know that you don't tolerate those people who have bad agendas, you're, you're faithful in that, but you're creating a shadow. Is the ministry of your local church is my ministry as a superintendent? Is our collective ministry as the church of the Nazarene? God forbid it would ever create a shadow on the other side of God's light, but let our hearts be soft. Let our hearts be tender. Let the grace of God be the fullness of the light of God, all of his light, all of his love being rooted and grounded in love. Pastor Haney Bogosian, his son Aaron and the team uh, were our music ministers tonight. Pastor Haney is presently in the Middle East. He's um, part of a truth and reconciliation ministry, Armenians and Turks. Very important ministry, not detached at all from where we live and move and have our being. But Pastor Haney was, um, um, amongst others of you, responded well to the refugee crisis, and we're doing all that we can. And he told me a story, and I, I, I hope I can communicate this clearly, but this love of, of Christ was demonstrated by a group of Middle Eastern people on Bayview Avenue, formerly known as our Armenian church. Now it's, now, now it's every person under the sun from the Middle East. And they come together to put things in the basement so that refugees can come and pick those up and start a new life. And Pastor Haney told me about a Jewish lady who wanted to give a dinner set, I believe that's what it was, a dinner set that could be given to a Syrian refugee. So there's miracle number one. A Jew is given a dinner set to a Syrian refugee. And she said, I want you to tell them this story, that this dinner set has been in our home for a long time. And my mother, her parents, I believe, had that dinner set. And, and that dinner set was retrieved from their terrible experience in Europe during the Second World War. And they escaped with it as a remembrance that this new life in Canada would, uh, uh, would have dinner served from this remnant of the past. And he went on to tell me that she told him that the mother or her mother would say to the kids, there may not always be much on this plate, but there will always be something. And every night, we're going to eat from it. So Pastor Haney and the team had the pleasure of passing that dinner set on to a Syrian refugee family with that story being told that your new life here in Canada, your new life here in the free world, you're going to eat your dinner off this. There may not always be an abundance of food on it, but there'll always be a provision on it. And let this be a constant reminder that God will always provide something. To the church of Jesus Christ, I say this. You may not always have an abundance of numbers on Sunday morning or whenever you have your main service. You may not bring members in by the score. You may not have a greater offering than you did last year, but there will always be something on your plate if you remember where you came from. The Ephesians were in danger of forgetting where they came from and how God had provided every step of the way. The love of God that is made manifest in our lives is a love that encompasses all people, no matter who they are, and whether or not we really want to be a part of that. The Old Testament book of Jonah is a clear example of a person not wanting the Ninevites to be saved. 
didn't want the favor of God. Why not? Well, here's a good reason. If I was just a human, if I was just using my mental ascent to understand Jonah, I would probably align myself with his thinking. His thinking was that these Ninevites had been horrible people to his ancestors, that these Ninevites had skinned alive his own people and used their epidermis as wallpaper in their homes. And now, God, you want me to go and preach your word to them so that somehow they might turn to you and find favor with you? Exactly, says God. And if you think that that's a remote story in an Old Testament context, think again. Because if you look deep enough into your own personal prejudice, you will find somebody to whom you do not want to go. I will find somebody. In fact, I can tell you his name. Sammy McBride in the Lurgan Church of the Nazarene. My father-in-law gave me a chance to preach. Sunday nights, fewer people there. You can do less damage, so get up there and do what you can. <laughs> you can't hurt us. And so he gave me a start preaching on Sunday night. And so I'm preaching and waxing eloquent. And I look to the back, and Sammy McBride walks in. Who's Sammy McBride? Sammy McBride is a guy that I used to be in the world with. Now, he's about 20 years older than I am, but he's one of these guys that wore his shirt unbuttoned to here with a big medallion on there. He was God's gift to women, you know, or at least he thought he was. Fact of the matter is, the reason I didn't like him was because he took a lot of girlfriends that were potentially mine. <laughs> and he was a bully. He was the Donald Trump of Lurgan. He really was, without the hair. Yeah. And there he was. He walks in. I'm going, what's he doing here? Well, what's he doing here? I didn't say it, but I thought it. And then I made an altar call, and who came to the altar? Sammy McBride. So what am I going to do now? <laughs> I still don't like him. Honestly, I still don't like him. So I look at my father-in-law, and I can, can nod at him, you know, to well, why don't you come and do that? And he's nodding back to me saying, no, you go and pray with him. And so I finally did. I finally did. I didn't like it one bit until, here's where I liked it, until he accepted Jesus. Not until he said sorry to me. It was not about me. He still hasn't said sorry to me. He doesn't know what he's done to me. He psychologically damaged me, but who cares? <laughs> and that's obvious. But we became brothers. We became kin. We became together in the family of God. And if you go to the Lurgan Church of the Nazarene today, he will be the person who will greet you at the door and give you a hymn book. You remember a hymn book? Remember what that was? <laughs> who remembers a hymn book here? Hands up. He will give you a redemption hymn book. And he serves on the church board in that church. Now, I tell you what, that is the love of God. That's the fullness of God working through us even when we kind of resist it. So it's not just a matter of Disney World conclusions to every story. It's a matter of working our way through the personality differences that are in our churches. And I've been to enough board meetings this past year to bear witness to that, where I have seen those personality differences come to the fore and create issues the like of which only God himself can fix. We need the fullness of the love of Jesus. We need the fullness of the light of Jesus. We need the fullness of the wisdom of Jesus. Here's what Chuck Swindoll says about wisdom. He says, if knowledge could be measured in inches and feet from the beginning of time until 1845 A.D., it would be one inch on a ruler. Knowledge. From 1845 to 1945, it would be three inches on a ruler. Knowledge. And from 1945 to the present, it would be nearly 600 feet now, think about that. That's knowledge, that, that there's been a tremendous influx of knowledge into our world. 
You have more knowledge at your fingertips than any generation or group of generations have ever had. You can Google anything you want and become an instant expert. You won't remember it this time tomorrow, but you'll need it and you'll use it for the moment. Knowledge. But you know that knowledge and wisdom are two different things. When the Apostle Paul talks to the Ephesians about wisdom and about the fullness of God, he was pleading with them. Something at the back of his mind, I never stop praying for you. There's something that continues to concern me about you. I, I don't know what it is, but you need the fullness of God if you are going to survive. And you need the wisdom. You need the wisdom of God. Henry Ford employed Charlie Steinmetz, an electrical engineer, to uh, fit his, his plant, his factory, with, with all of the generators. Steinmetz was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But one day, the plant shut down. It just came to a, a screeching halt as generator after generator just went out of commission. He called Charlie Steinmetz back. He said, I, I need you back. I, I, I need you to get this place up and running quickly. And so Steinmetz came, and he, uh, he worked on the generators for a while, and suddenly there was a silent whir of, of those motors, and before long, everything was up and running. Steinmetz then sent Henry Ford a bill for $10,000. Henry Ford was furious. And he called him, he said, what? He called him into the office, he said, what in the world? He said, $10,000 for just tinkering around for half an hour? No, said Steinmetz, for tinkering around $10, for knowing where to tinker, $9,990. <laughs> I don't believe in cheap religion. I don't believe in cheap membership in the church, and to you who became officially organized congregations tonight in Solid Rock, and those of you where this happened many, many years ago, and you church planters out there, don't settle for cheap Christianity, cheap organization, or cheap churchianity, because you'll get what you pay for. You'll get what you pay for. Paul is looking at the Ephesians that at surface level, appeared to be wealthy and wise, to be appeared to have it all, but, but there, was a, there was a cheapness there somewhere. There, there was a cutting of corners. There, there didn't seem to be the fullness that, that he was admonishing them to rise to. Our little Frankie, I think he's gone out there, but he's just learning to pray. I've, I've told you this everywhere I've gone. But he's, his prayer now is, at the end, in the name of the Father and the Son and the whole experiment. <laughs> you try to correct him. You say, no, Frank, it's the Holy Spirit. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the whole experiment. So I can't change his mind. And I've come to the conclusion, maybe he's right. Maybe what we're involved in is a grand experiment. Why? Last year, at this time, I preached on the feeding of the 5,000. I talked about how Jesus came, and the disciples were wondering how this problem was going to be solved. But the Word of God says at the beginning of that segment, Jesus asked them this question to test them, because He knew already what He was going to do. Now, that's a hair's breadth from Calvinism, but let's embrace it just for a moment. Let's embrace it for a moment. Now, I said a hair's breadth, thick hair's breadth. <laughs> but Jesus already knows what he's going to do with Canada Central. He just wants to see what you're going to do. He knows what he's going to do with the history makers. He knows what he's going to do with Casa de Pan. He knows what he's going to do with Solid Rock. He knows what he's going to do with Emmanuel. He knows what he's going to do with St. Catharines or... Confederation Heights or Niagara Heights. I've lost track. He just wants to see what we're going to do. 
He knows what he's going to do with this assembly. He knows what he's going to do with the church of the Nazarene. He just wants to see what we are going to do. And nothing short of the fullness of God is going to allow us to do it. Fullness of wisdom, fullness of holiness. Listen to the Word of God. In 1 John 3, verse 5, it says, You know that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sin. Praise the Lord. In 1 John 3, verse 8, it says, For this reason he was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's one thing to take away our sin. It's another thing to destroy the works of the devil. Let me ask you, are the works of the devil destroyed in your life? Your sins are forgiven. Our name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, but there's, there's a working. There, there's a repetition of things. There's, there's an ongoing challenge to that fruitfulness and that fullness and that joy. We need the holiness of God. I want to suggest something tonight, that the new battleground for the church of the Nazarene is not the articulation of the doctrine of holiness. Sometimes that is a struggle. Sometimes that is, and you candidates for ordination tomorrow, you will be speaking to Dr. Crocker about that. Be articulate. But the new battleground for the doctrine of holiness in the church of the Nazarene is not being able to express it. It's being able to find people who are in the experience of it. Again, I've been in enough board meetings this year to wonder what has happened. I've been in enough situations where conflict seems to be unfixable, where relationships are broken to the point where I wonder if God himself could do anything about it. And I've come to a conclusion. It's not how well we say it. It's do we have it. Because if you have it, you'll have no problem saying it. If you have the experience of the holiness of God, you'll have no problem talking about it because it is a fruit of the Spirit that overflows spontaneously. It just comes out and you can't help it. You just wake up like Scrooge on Christmas morning after he realizes that it's been all a dream, and he goes, I just love life. I love it here. Look at this place. I was dreaming, and he has a whole new expression of love for the whole world. That's the message of the church, but it's what Ephesians didn't have. We need the power. We need the power. Jeremiah in chapter 12 had lost his power because he was complaining to God. He was saying, look, how come all the bad people seem to win? How come that the good people always seem to be trodden on? How come? And God says to him, listen, if you can't walk with the foot soldiers, how are you going to run with the horses in the thickets of Jordan? Sometimes in church, we're so short-sighted and we've got such myopia that, that we look at each other as the enemy. Sometimes we look at each other in this competition strain and, and, and we're having difficulty just walking with the foot soldiers who are the members and the arms and the legs and the body of Christ of which we're all a part. And God is saying the same thing to us in 2016. If you're having trouble walking with each other, how are you going to run with those horses in the thickets of Jordan? We need the fullness of the holiness and the fullness of the power of God, and we need the fullness of His beautiful, wonderful glory. Pope Gregory was showing Thomas Aquinas all of the treasures of the Vatican. The Pope said, I guess we can no longer say with Peter, silver and gold, have I none? And Thomas Aquinas said, yes. And no longer can we say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We have everything that we need here. We, we have traded our sorrows 
We've done it all. We, we have bounty. We have provision. But sometimes with all of that comes the inability to trust God for everything, to trust God for decisions in our churches, to trust God for our prayers to be answered, to trust God that His glory would be revealed. In science class, I would use a microscope, and the microscope would make things bigger. And, and my father-in-law was one who loved looking through a telescope to the stars because the telescope would bring things closer. When it comes to God, we use both of those, spiritually speaking. We use a microscope because it makes him bigger. And the microscope of his word and the microscope of his love and the microscope of his patience. But we use a telescope because it brings him closer. And when he comes closer, the glory is revealed, not only for us, but for our entire world. So to the Ephesians, in conclusion, Paul had a big concern for them. Jesus had a big concern for them. You know, in Canada, as in many places, there's one topic that we talk about quite often. It's the weather. In the summer, we'll say, is it hot enough for you? In the winter, we'll say, is it cold enough for you? When was the last time anybody said to you, does it look warm enough for you today? Does it look warm enough? Is it tepid enough for you today? I would bet, if I was allowed to do that, that nobody has ever said that to you that nobody has ever said that to you. Is it look warm enough for you today? And yet, sometimes that is the very expression of the church. Does it look warm enough for you today? And we know what Jesus does with lukewarmness. He said, I can't tolerate it. I can't deal with it. I, it's not what I planned. It, it, it's, not what, it's not what I designed for you. I I tell you what, I see everything that's going on, but I, I need you to come back to your first love. So two things I'll ask you tonight. Following the instruction of the Word of God, repent. Nazarenes, repent. Nazarenes should repent because we believe in sin. We believe in sin. We believe in its existence. Listen to this Article number five, we believe that actual or personal sin is a voluntary violation of a known law of God by a morally responsible person. It is therefore not to be confused with involuntary and inescapable shortcomings, infirmities, faults, mistakes, failures, or other deviations from a standard of perfect conduct that are the residual effects of the fall. However, such innocent effects do not include attitudes or responses contrary to the Spirit of Christ which may be properly called sins of the Spirit. We believe that personal sin is primarily and essentially a violation of a law of love. And in relation to Jesus, the violation of the law of love can be considered unbelief. And that's amazing. That's one of our articles of faith. That's what we believe, that a violation of that law of love can be considered unbelief. And unbelief requires repentance. If you've lost the law of love in your life, it's time to repent and do the things you did at first. You remember when you were first saved? You could walk on water. You remember your first kiss? How, how, how many of you... What's the matter? How many of you remember your first kiss? Put your hand up if you do. How many of you have had a first kiss? <laughs> like there were six of you that remember your first kiss. I remember well. I remember practicing. I do, I remember. And what a disappointment when the real one came. It, sorry, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Back to your first love. Your first love, and, and, and I promise with this I'm finishing. Your first love has passed, and to prove it, would the worship team come? Come on. I need you to come. 
Your first love as pastor is not how many people you visited this week, it's Jesus. Your first love as pastor is not how brilliant your sermon was or how bad it was, it is Jesus. Your first love as a Sunday school teacher is not how many kids were in your class, it is Jesus. Your first love as a youth worker is not how great the pizza was or how many places you've been in the last year. It's Jesus. It's not that all our budgets have been paid in full. It is Jesus is our first love. The person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. He is our first love. And Ephesians didn't have it. Or if they did, they lost it. And if the physical church at Ephesus does not exist, its characteristics certainly do. Its characteristics certainly do. But we are people of the way. In February of this year, our general board convened in uh, the Netherlands. And uh, I had the privilege of going to one of our churches in the Netherlands. And I walked into a huge facility the worship team was playing, and it was full of people of all ages. <laughs> and what I'm going to say might just shock the boots right off you. But they were singing a song that I knew. It was, I have one deep supreme desire that I may be like Jesus. To this I fervently aspire. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus. That's a great old hymn of the church. And they sang all the verses, and it was beautiful. The sermon was fantastic. The conclusion was great. The foyer was packed with people who didn't want to go out, except for the 20 or 30 who were just outside the door having a cigarette. And I walked out, and I looked at them, and I thought, I love you guys. I don't love you because you're smoking cigarettes. That's just a dumb thing to do. But I love you because you can come into church and you can sing from the bottom of your heart, I have one deep, supreme desire. That is a testimony to, I haven't made it yet. I haven't got there yet, but I have a deep desire that I might be like Jesus. So come in, sing it, hear the word of God. Let the spirit of God convict you. And let him work on you. And if you have to go out for a cigarette, go do it and come back next Sunday. Is there no amen? Am I on my own? Is that, am I the only one who believes that here? Because if I'm the only one who believes that, then I am in danger of being wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not condoning any behavior that will do damage to our bodies. But I'm also not condoning any, condoning any behavior of the church that will not offer the forgiveness and the love of Jesus that will enable our churches to last forever. Please stand with me. Let's go into the next year now with a renewed optimism that Jesus can take the worst of people of which we are all representatives and turn us into mighty saints of God, saved, sanctified, filled with His Spirit to His glory and to His honor. As our worship team plays, I know this is not the way to finish a report, but I guess it wasn't the way to start one either, but pastors, I want you to step out from where you are, come and kneel. You are the flag bearers. You are the examples, the shepherds. I want you to come. And then delegates, go to where your pastor is. And if you've lost your first love, get back to it. Get back to it. Love Jesus. Follow him. And the numbers will take care of themselves. Father, by your Spirit, move upon us. Be glorified in what you're doing. And bless your church as we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. May there be a chorus of prayer. Lift your voices to the Lord.
here tonight and you've wandered away from Jesus what a beautiful atmosphere for you to come back just where you are I'm not going to ask you to come forward where you are would you pray a prayer and ask him into your heart let the love permeate your soul let him forgive your sins give you victory destroy the works of the devil receive Jesus Respectfully submitted, Ian Fitzpatrick. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can imagine, dream, and vision. According to the power that is in us, to him be the glory in his church, in this generation and throughout every generation. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the delegates to go back to your seats, and we, we still have a matter of business that we need to take care of. Don't worry. It's still the young. The night is still young. No, we just need to receive the report, and I need a motion to receive the report of the district superintendent. There's a motion to receive the report. There's a second. If you're in favor of receiving the report, please remain standing or stand. If you're against, you could remain sitting. <laughs> remain standing. I'm going to ask uh, the district superintendent, Brother Ian, to please come forward. It's a practice that I have as a general superintendent, and everywhere, everywhere I go, regardless of the nation and the language, Sister Pat, would you please come and stand by the district superintendent, your husband? The best gift that we could give to our leaders is to pray for them. We could uh, do a lot of them and, and fill them with, uh, with plaques and presents, but the best present we can give you is to pray for you. I'm going to invite the pastors to come and surround them as we're going to pray for them. And the national director, Dr. Claire McMillan, is here. I'm going to invite him to come and, and pray, pray here for Reverend Ian and Pat Fitzpatrick. There are three things that we're committing to you, uh, uh, to you Ian. The first is that we're going to pray for you. And the symbol of it is your co-workers here, your, the, 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 the pastors that you are a shepherd of. 
The second thing is that we commit to work with you. The vision that the Lord has given you for this district is not just your vision. We know that, that very little happens at the district office. Sorry, Pat. But really, the work of the kingdom happens at the local church. It is in the local church where baptisms, where conversions, where, where, where new families are started, where children are dedicated, where, where people are ushered into the presence of God. It is at the local church. So whatever vision the Lord has given you, Ian, we're telling you, by surrounding you, we're telling you that we're going to work with you. Not for you. We're going to pray for you, but we're going to work with you. We also recognize, because a lot of church members tell me that there is no perfect pastor. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Yeah, there is no perfect pastor. We know that. I'm, I'm reminded of that all the time. But also, pastors talk to me, send emails, and, or, or make insinuations that there is no perfect district superintendent. We know that. And every time they have a chance, my family remind me that there is no perfect general superintendent. <laughs> and I believe that. The beauty of this is that God works through us in perfect vessels. But one thing we commit to you, Ian, if things do not work out the way we think they should work, rather than talking about you like they do in carnal churches, because we're a holiness church, we commit that we're going to talk to you and not about you. That's our commitment. We commit to pray for you, to work with you, and to talk to you and not about you. And by doing so... The name of Jesus will be glorified, the kingdom will extend, and he will build his church. We're going to pray, and this is going to be also our prayer of benediction for the evening. We'll see you tomorrow at 8 o'clock or earlier if you want to come. Shall we pray? Lord, we look across this congregation tonight. And very particularly across these, your servants who are gathered at the front. We are impressed at what we see, for we know so many of them. We know their hearts. As pastors, we know the vows they have made to you, to the church. And yet you see more deeply than any of us can see. You can see the very depths of our being. And you use that vision in order to spur us forward. But not out of a sense of desperation, but rather out of a sense of absolute rest and trust in you, even as we go about the busy things that you give us to do. Thank you for our brother Ian, for the stirring of your spirit in his heart that prompted the stirring of your spirit in our hearts tonight. Thank you for the way your spirit has reminded us again and again in these moments that how much we owe to you and how thankful we can be for the work of your church in this place. Thank you for the potential that you see here tonight, both here at the front and across this congregation. We know there are heavy burdens that are represented here at the front, we have sensed the heavy burden on the heart of Brother Ian. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would do what only you can do, and that's not to take the burden away, but rather to make it something that's not only bearable, but something that is a delight to us to bear, because we do it with your help and your assistance. May we go from this place in a moment once again renewed and empowered by the strength of your spirit. May we go with your blessing as we consider Ian's words tonight and through the night. And as we come back together tomorrow, we ask, O oh God, 
that uh, you would continue to do marvelous things in Canada Central District Church of the Nazarene, and yes, the Church of the Nazarene across Canada, across the United States, and yes, around the world. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus, who calls us to the fervor that we have heard tonight. In his name we pray. Amen.